Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the new sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could... Glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Certainly he is good. Certainly his faithfulness is everlasting. Um, during the wilderness wanderings in the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle, it was a portable temple. They could be picked up and moved wherever God led uh, the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel. And his presence was visible to them. So fast forward to King David. King David, a man after God's own heart. David desperately wanted to build the Lord a temple. And God told him, he's like, bro, you can't. There's, there's too much blood on your hands because David was a warrior. He said, but your son will. So his son Solomon, when he became king, he built this temple for the Lord, a permanent dwelling place for him. And all of Israel was gathered together. There, they were there with one spirit and with one mind. And they were there to worship. And the presence of the Lord, the visible presence of the Lord filled the temple. And his presence was so thick, it appeared like a cloud, like smoke. It was so thick, everybody had to leave because it was so full. So church, let us come together today in spirit and in truth, pure in heart, with the right intentions. Lord, fill your church with your glory this morning. Okay. Um, I have enjoyed this sermon series so much. I love verse by verse teaching, preaching, and I am so sad that this particular one is coming to a close. So... Not only that, but I am honored to be able to bring you uh, the final message, and I have such a huge burden that I am feeling right now to make sure that something in here, a nugget in here, is communicated clearly to you. Because it was something I was totally unprepared about. Matter of fact, I, I uh, texted Adam yesterday, say, bro, I'm struggling. I was like, I've got a sermon that lasts about five minutes. I'm sure you all be pleased, but I just, it wouldn't sit right with me. Not here? <laughs> um, 
It, it wasn't five minutes after I sent him that text. Uh, the Lord's like, okay, now it's time for you to see where I want you to really go. And I was like, wow, wow. Um, so we're going to have fun this morning. So just to recap, really cliff notes, um, we have been covering First and Second Timothy. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He was his right-hand man. In 1 Timothy, when Paul was writing this letter to him, he was traveling and life was good. But in 2 Timothy, Paul is in a dungeon <laughs> in the Mamertine prison in Rome. He was not there with other prisoners. He wasn't even there with other people that, uh, that he knew. The dude was by himself. And the dude was cold. And not only that, he had received that sentence, and then like he knew that he was going to be executed. He knew that this was it. With the end in sight, like he wrote with such passion, um, and it is amazing to see that there's something that he actually does in the verses that we're going to be looking at that is just mind-boggling, and I've never seen it before, and I hope, God, I pray, would you show these people today? Because there's something that comes along with it. So, so previously in chapter 4, um, verses 1 through 5 was sharing the gospel. We shared the gospel with the lost, the church, and the broken uh, theology. Verses 6 through 8, uh, Paul is saying, finish the race. And then last week, uh, Cody brought us uh, the message, friends and phonies. Today, the title of today's message is, never walk alone. We need our Christian companions, our, both our family and our friends that come alongside of us in that moment of desperation. But there is more that is available to us than just our family and our friends. And people, I'm here to tell you today with what we are going to look at, what the Lord showed me yesterday. This is going to equip you so that you do not have to walk alone. Go and throw up these verses, if you would, please. 2 Timothy 4. We're going to read all of these verses, 16 through 22, and then we're going to break them down. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, disclaimer here. Like, I went to YouTube and I listened to the pronunciations of all these names. And I actually have them here. Uh, okay, good. You took them out because I have them right next to the name so I say them correctly. So if I pause for a minute, I'm practicing in my head, okay? So... Greek Pisca, <laughs> I messed up first one, Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus, nailed it. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus, I left sick, and Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Father, 
Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to uh, bring your word this morning. Lord, I do not take this lightly, and I do not view this as just um, a means to an end of providing something for Sunday morning service. But God, I ask that you through me would bring your word with power. Lord, I ask that you would take this logos and make it rhema. Father, make this scripture revelation to us as only you can do. Father, I pray that every single person that listens to this when they walk out these doors knows uh, without a doubt that they never walk alone. Father, I feel a tremendous burden, and the burden is heavy, and I'm thankful uh, that that you've given it to me. Show up this morning. Do your thing, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So this last section of 2 Timothy has four points. One is the Lord's presence. Two is the Lord's rescue. Three is faithful old friends and new friends. And then finally, it's the Lord's grace. So let's go ahead and look at these first two verses. This is the first point is the Lord's presence. And this is, this is huge. Okay, so at my defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Maybe, may it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished. And that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Man, think about this. Like, make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself here. Okay, I'm not. So, at my first defense, no one supported me. This first defense, this is like a grand jury hearing, right? Think about all of the lives that Paul has poured into. Think about all of the pastors that he's groomed. Think about all the disciples that he's made. Think about like everything that he has done in his life since the road to Damascus pouring into people. And how many did he have with him? How many did he have with him at this point in his life? At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Not one person, not one Christian stood with him. Not one. So even through this terrible situation, something beautiful is coming. And if I'm being quite honest with you, I read right over it. But as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Someone else pointed me to something, to another portion of Scripture that just absolutely blew me away. Because even though all had deserted Paul, Paul was not alone. So, Paul like Jesus, went to Jerusalem knowing he was walking to his death. Paul knew that he was returning to Jerusalem to die, just as Jesus did. So let's look at this in Acts, and then we're going to have some fun with this. This is Acts 21, 10 through 14. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and he came to us and took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt 
and hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him, Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to, even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we became quiet, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Paul is in his own Garden of Gethsemane. Paul is not looking through temporary eyes. He's looking through eternal eyes. He's not looking at the here and now. He's looking at the big picture. And then this is the cool part. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 16 again, 4.16. Just, you don't have to go there, but at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Just like Jesus. Do you remember what he said when, he's hanging, when he was hanging on, this, on that cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Paul says, may it not be counted against them. Instead of feeling anger and bitterness, he shows mercy Likewise, Jesus said the same thing when he was in a very similar situation, staring death in the eyes. Just like Jesus, Paul was looking at death as if it were a person, staring him in the face. And instead of being filled with anger and bitterness, he is still showing mercy. Hmm. So, in these verses we just looked at, this, this, is, this is like, for me, like the most exciting part of this whole message for me. Um, so please, um, please listen, and <laughs> Lord, may you make this uh, revelation to us. In, verses, uh, in these verses in 2 Timothy, Paul uses the same language of Psalm 22 in his last days. Psalm 22 was written by David, King David. Well, what you have to know is this. David wrote this psalm about a thousand years before Christ. Now, to help illustrate what that length of time is, think about how long uh, the United States has been a nation. How long has it been? A little over what? 200 years. Okay, so 200 times that by five. So as, as long as the United States has been in existence, times that by five, and that's when David penned these things before Christ came to the earth, okay? So as we read these, what I want you to do is see if you are hearing any similarities that you know about Jesus, okay? And then I'll explain why when we're done. So before I do this, I have to ask a, a, a serious question. What do you put your faith in? Not the who, but the what, when, you, when your life is flipped upside down, your faith has got to be rooted in something. I can tell you, I've been there. There is only one thing, and I'm talking about a physical thing. <laughs> it's not my phone. Um, there is one thing that you can hold in your hand physically that you can put your faith in. And it is something that will last forever, and it is the word of God.
So, with the Word of God, the Bible, something that God breathed into existence just as he breathed everything that you can see. Through this thing that you can hold in your hand, you can have the faith of a spiritual giant, just as Paul did. So the day may come, and to be quite honest, it looks like it's becoming extremely close when you're going to need it. You're going to need this faith with roots that grow deep. So with that said, let's look at Psalm 22, again, written by David, 1,000 years or five Americas before the birth of Christ. So Paul being the Hebrew that he was, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, studied under Gamaliel. He knew Psalm 22. He knew Psalm 22 inside and out. And as a a previous persecutor of Christians, he knew the story of Jesus and he knew what went down on the cross. So here we go. Psalm 22, Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Raise your hand if you've heard that somewhere else before. Who said that? It was Jesus on the cross. Now, when was this written by David? How many years? Five Americas ago. David writes, my God, my God, why have you, forgot, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer it. By night, I have no rest. Yet you are holy. And you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. And you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me, Sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count on my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Do you see who this is talking about? But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. This is something that Paul himself is going to say in 2 Timothy. From the horns of the wild oxen you answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will praise you. 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All of the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive, posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation, and they will come and declare his righteousness to people who will be born that he performed it. I am convinced that through these scriptures, Jesus gave Paul hope. Through these scriptures, Paul knew that he was not alone. When Paul should have been hopeless, again, he's in a hole in the ground, in a dungeon. He's alone, and he's cold, and he has nothing. So when Paul should have been hopeless, he was hopeful. I don't say hopeful of something that was coming. He was full of hope because of the scriptures that he knows, because of the thing that he could hold in his hand that proves the existence of God. So how can Paul, looking death in the face, have hope? Because he believes in the God that wrote the scriptures. And he knows that he, God, will not leave him alone during this time. And he also knows that through the scriptures that this life is just the beginning. It's a mere blink when we consider eternity. So, this makes me ask myself a question. It's like, how well do we know the scriptures? So, we, when, we can, when we can't handle this life on our own, and we have nothing left in us, it is the scriptures that God uses to bring us peace. And I can tell you from personal experience, the word of God will give you hope when you are absolutely emptied of everything. I'm not one that likes to use personal experience from a pulpit, but I can tell you that I've been here. We had not been deserted by all. It was the exact opposite. Um, but three years ago, um, we almost lost my wife. And even though it is not something that I would have wanted uh, in the least. I'm not even getting choked up, so this is pretty amazing. But even though it was something that I was absolutely opposed to, even though I had no um, idea of what the outcome would be, even though the only scripture that I could remember was this, um, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. I'm like, what are you telling me? 
But even though I didn't know what the outcome was, was going to be, because of the scriptures, because I believe in the God that wrote the scriptures, because the scriptures proves God's existence, because he can have somebody write something a thousand years, and then a, a thousand years before his son comes, and then his son comes and lives it out perfectly to what was pre-written, because of that, I knew that my God is still holy. I knew that my God is still righteous, and I know that my God is still good. And even though I felt utterly alone when I was surrounded by people, I was not alone. And I can tell you, like, if you're in that situation, you know, and, and I've been on the other side trying to get comforting words, I can tell you those words are not comforting. They're, they're good, don't get me wrong. But it's the word that comes from the Lord that <laughs> it will sustain you. It is the roots of your faith growing deep. It's not anything else. It's the roots of your faith. So when the north wind blows, your faith remains. So again, Paul in verse 17 says this. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. Could it be that your suffering is for the salvation of someone else? <laughs> hmm. So, finish the fight. Proclaim the message. Persist when it is convenient and persist when it is not. Paul's dominant concern was not himself, but it was the message of Christ. Paul publicly declared the gospel. He did not fear men because he preached before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. When you realize that you ultimately stand before God Almighty and allow his word to prove his existence, you are freed from the fear of man. When you realize that you will ultimately stand before God Almighty and you allow his word to prove his existence, you will be freed from the fear of man. Hmm. Curses, man. Curses is a man that trusts a man, makes faith his arm, and his heart departs from the Lord. The moment that you place your faith in a man, you're cursed. Place your faith in the Lord. And this is not a blind faith. This is a, this is, there is evidence to his truth, to his existence. So, so the Lord temporarily rescued Paul from the death, the lion's mouth. So in the end, Paul knew that he was going to die, and the Lord would still provide the ultimate rescue for his faithful messenger. So in this portion of Scripture, when he wrote it, yes, he was um, um, saved from the, from the lion's mouth for a while. But his death was coming. So though all forsake you, Jesus remains. Though all forsake you, Jesus, please don't hold this against them. May we be like Paul and extend grace. Because I can tell you, it's easy not to. 
It is easy not to. Point two, the Lord's rescue, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul was temporarily rescued, but he knew death was certain. So knowing what we know about Paul's faith and the source of it, we can understand the peace that he had because of the relationship that he had with the Lord. So again, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. So Paul, again, he is using that language from Psalm 22 because he knows it well. And he knows that the God that wrote that, wrote this at the time that he did through King David. And then he knows when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was fulfilling all these things that had been pre-written. So based on that, Paul knew the promises of God. And he knew that the future that God had for him. So when that earthly death was coming, that first death was coming, he knew that was not the end. Because that is not the second death, the one that we should all fear. So the Lord made a rescue. One, a temporary, maybe for him to finish the work, maybe for him to finish the book of 2 Timothy. But then he rescued him ultimately by bringing Paul to him where he was. Point three, faithful old friends and new friends. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. But Trophimus, I left sick in Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you. Also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. We're not going to spend a lot of time here on this one, uh, but it's here, so we'll unpack it. So, so these were those faithful friends. You have Prisca, Aquila, and Onesiphorus. These guys exemplify steady faithfulness to Jesus. Erastus and Trophimus were loyal servants. Eubulus, Putin's, Linus, Claudia, and the brothers. Like these guys, like we don't know, and this is probably the ones that are the most important for us here today. Because these guys are unknown to us, but they are not unknown to God. Um, have you ever felt like you were a nobody in the kingdom? Oh, absolutely. But even though they were unknown to us, they are not unknown to God. Don't you know it's the least in the kingdom that will be the greatest? Your service does not go unnoticed. The church, not rest church, but the church, Acts 2 unto the rapture, is blessed, enriched, and strengthened throughout its existence through unsung heroes. So, regarding people like this, I can speak from personal experience. Again, the same experience. The moment that we got to the hospital, there was just a continue a continuous rotation of people with family and with friends that just never stopped. And then even during the surgery, there was a group there that I'm telling you what should have been absolute and utter darkness. 
I couldn't even think about it because there was so much joy with the people that were there. So if we can take anything away from this message, I'm not quite done. It's this. One, you have something in your hand that you can hold that can cause the roots of your faith to grow down deep if you can get with people that can help teach you so that iron can sharpen iron. But not only that, if there's something else that you get from this message, and I'm speaking to me as well, uh, because I remember telling Summer about this, um, and I think uh, it, it's really, uh, I've lost focus. But coming out of this, I told her, I was like, because of the support that we had, I told her, I was like, when I know that there's a need, I really need to step it up because I didn't step up like people stepped up for us. So we as a body have got to step up as well. Not just the lead team, not just the deacons, but man, this body as a whole. If you know that somebody is hurting, man, step up and just be there for them. And even though those things that you say that you think will be encouraging and it maybe doesn't give them a lot of encouragement, your company is what we desperately need. Just you being there, showing that you care is what they need. So, the church has been blessed and rich and strengthened throughout its existence by unsung heroes. What was definitely the worst um, and the scariest time of our lives is when we received the most support. And through those times, because of <laughs> the word of God, regardless where our mind was, the roots of our faith stayed. This is the last point, point four, the Lord's grace. This is going to be a shorter sermon. You're welcome. Second Timothy 4.22. Okay, now, mind you, where is Paul in this moment? He is in a dungeon. He is freezing. He is alone. And he still has the heart to say this. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. How can he have a level head in this situation? Again, staring death in the eyes. How? Because of his faith. So 2 Timothy begins with a gospel-centered nature. And it's ending with a gospel-centered blessing. Grace be with you. This apostle's final recorded thought is quite fitting, grace. For those of you raised in a legalistic church setting, uh, over here, I just didn't listen, or for those of you that didn't understand the love and the delight that God has for you, this word grace has huge meaning. Paul experienced God's grace, testified to the gospel of grace, and closed by praying for the Savior's grace grace to strengthen and to empower his son in the faith. May grace be with you. As you pursue faithfulness to God, you can rest in the Savior's grace. You remember God's perfect faithfulness and you can rely on his strength to finish your course. Rest in his grace, remember his faithfulness, rely on his strength to finish your course.
Um, as we start to close, this is something that, that is really cool, and this is something else I didn't know prior to studying this. And it's uh, actually from uh, verse 6. But if I don't know what is as good of a close as this, I don't know. But Paul says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. The weight of what he has just said is huge here. He uses this phrase, poured out as a drink offering. So, Paul is on our side of the cross. On the other side of the cross, there was a sacrificial system. And there would be sacrifices and all these rituals that they would do. But one of these rituals, during the sacrificing of a lamb, wine was poured out at the base of the altar. And Paul used this image to refer to the type of death that he expected. For I am ready, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul knew. And he can see it, like through the scriptures, like he can see what's happening. So Roman citizens, which Paul was, he had dual citizenship, were not permitted to be crucified. And because of that, Paul knew that he would be beheaded. They would chop his head off. In which case, his blood would splash like wine on the ground again, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This dude was happy to do it. Why? Because of the faith that he had in the word of God that he can hold in his hand. So I have a question for you and for me. When our life is over, will people be able to say of us, he poured out his life for the sake of Christ? Man, it's so easy to lose focus. I know, because I do it all the time. But will people be able to say when your life is over, he poured out his life for the sake of Christ? And this is it, I'm almost done. So Paul's word departure, and the time of my departure has come, is really cool because in Greek literature, it is used from a loosing of a ship from its mooring, from the place that it is secured to. So Paul paints this image of lifting an anchor, tossing aside the ropes, and joyfully sailing to a better place. Joyfully sailing to a better place because a follower of Christ never really dies. They depart. Paul longed for this. He told the Philippians, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. But he's like, but it's not my time yet. He doesn't want me to come yet. Man, can we get to that place? <laughs> That's a scary place to be. But now that Paul's ship is about to leave, he's ready. The anchor's up. The ropes are thrown aside. It's going. Paul is ready. So I've got a question. Are you? Do you know the destination of your ship?
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Bro, do you know that you know when your ship leaves that it is departing and its destination is wherever Jesus is? I mean, do you know that you know? If you don't, we need to change that today. I mentioned earlier, and then I'm done. Rest Church, do you know someone that is suffering? Do you know someone that just needs a companion, even for a season? Do I? We have got to keep our eyes open for the hurting. So that as we walk this life, we never walk alone.